Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're doing well. Thank you, as always, for being here as we review another Grand Prix, another sprint weekend as well. We just finished watching the Austrian Grand Prix. And at this point in time, even though we do have some classification of what went down this weekend, we still don't know the final result. And we're going to get into why that is in just a moment. But before we do, joining us, as always, on the episode to review what went down this weekend, we have Courtney Pine and Lee Wannington, the DNF1 panel, in full force once again. And on a somber note, if I may, for just a moment, just want to tribute this episode to the memory of a driver, young driver, that we lost this week. And very, very sad news of what went down in a Formula Regional Alpine race in Spa-Frankenhorst. A young driver, Delano van Hoff, sadly lost his life in an accident at this weekend's race. And we just want to share our thoughts and condolences to friends and family of young Delano. It's a very, very sad event this weekend. And of course, it does raise questions regarding the safety of current motorsport cars also the safety perhaps of the spa circuit as we often remember it wasn't too long ago that we were talking about a very similar fatality involving young Antoine Hubert who was taken too soon also and of course I think we can discuss that in a bit more depth in a future episode perhaps at the Belgian Grand Prix preview later in uh, in July I think that race is going on but of course until then I think what's best right now is to as I said offer our condolences to those um, close to Delano and uh, share our thoughts and prayers it's such a difficult time right now and such a sad loss for motorsport so Courtney Lee coming back to the Austrian Grand Prix at the point of recording Max Verstappen 
won the Austrian Grand Prix by a comfortable margin, although it was only a few seconds. But realistically speaking, that was caused by the late pit stop where he wanted to chase that fastest lap. So he had the race well under control. But of course, pole position for the sprint, pole position for the main race, winner of the sprint, winner of the main race. The, I mean, right now that the young man is under complete control of the F1 World Championship. Everything he is doing right now is glistened in gold. And there just doesn't seem to be any stopping him right now. It's five wins in a row for Max Verstappen. And, you know, the, the wins just keep piling up for young Max right now. I mean, what are your thoughts following another dominant weekend from Max Verstappen and, of course, from the Red Bull team? Courtney, this comes to you first. Uh, I, it's just not even surprising at this point. You know, you always have to give credit to, um, you know, the driver and the team for doing such a good job. But we're going into race weekends now. <laughs> pretty much knowing what the result's going to be, particularly given the reliability that the cars have at the moment. So, uh, yeah, well done to Max. Well done to Red Bull. Well done to the Orange Army. Um, but, yeah, there's plenty of talking points behind Max, I guess, that we can run through. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Um, unbeknownst to us, of course, we were kind of hoping that the Orange Army might be there to support Lando Norris. I'm sure a few of them were, perhaps uh, in a bit more jest than anything else. I'm certainly sure Lando was very happy about that. But of course, they were out there in their droves to support their man, Max Verstappen, as he was winning on home turf for the Red Bull team once again. Lee, let's come to you on this one with Max Verstappen. As we've already mentioned, absolute dominant performance from him this weekend. We're really running out of superlatives for how good Max and Red Bull are at the moment. Yeah, it was a really uh, brilliant performance from Max. Completely under control all weekend. The only points you could argue that he wasn't under control was when he wasn't leading for those few laps when Charles was um, getting those laps under his belt for his statistics for the year. And um, obviously, turn one of the sprint race um, and through turn two. Um, But that was about it. Apart from that, it was... It was plain sailing for. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, there was a moment in the sprint race, actually, where it was very, very interesting. Of course, we will sort of dive back and forth between the sprint race and the main race throughout this particular review. And there was a moment where Max and his teammate Sergio Perez, who qualified on the front row, I believe it was, for that race. And they had almost a bit of a coming together. Checo overtook Max at turn one and then there was a moment where it looked like Checo had forced Max a little bit wide and then Max went quite deep into turn three it was as he lost control of the car the two drivers weren't necessarily happy with each other following that exchange and of course that uh, filtered out after the race where they had a bit of a discussion in front of the cameras not that we could hear what was being said but uh, it doesn't seem right now that the two drivers are completely in harmony with each other in that regard. Yeah, I think with Sergio Perez, look, he's also been frustrated with his form over the last few races. Um, And the guy has a point to prove. We all know that obviously Red Bull are the team to beat. They probably will be for the next couple of years. So that second seat is going to be sought after. So I'm sure Sergio Perez will start feeling the pressure and he knew he had to make a point this weekend. He knew he had to bounce back. Obviously, qualifying didn't go the way that he wanted it to. So I think any opportunity we saw obviously in the race as well against Zions, I think any opportunities to have some argy-bargy, he was there for it. He didn't want to get pushed over by anybody. He didn't want to be submissive because he knows he has to start clawing back the results as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the way I saw that whole exchange go down between the two, I thought Checo 
was a little bit naughty to push Max onto the grass, going up the run up the hill. But then at the same time, I can totally understand Checo's frustration with Max diving in at turn three, especially in difficult conditions because the track was wet, the drivers were on inters. And I know a lot of people were saying, oh, well, you can't be too harsh on Max because he lost control of the car and, you know, it's not much he could do about it. Checo done well to get out of the way. But my argument would be on that one where I thought Max was a little bit of forward turn three was simply, well, if you lose control of the car, that's just because you've gone in too quickly and the responsibility is of, is of the driver in that car. I mean, if it's something that he couldn't help, then fair enough. But, you know, it's all a bit tit for tat, quite frankly. Nothing was really lost at the end of it. I think both of them kind of handled it as well as they needed to. And you just move on, quite frankly. I don't think you really need to make more of it than it was. But other than that, superlatives all around for Red Bull. Max Verstappen, another victory for them on home turf in front of an effective home crowd, quite frankly. And Checo Perez in the main race after a good result in the sprint race finish in P2, consolidating a difficult qualifying performance once again, which we'll touch on just briefly, but managing to recover that and finishing on the podium. Only Charles Leclerc between the two Red Bulls this weekend. So I think for Perez's sake, I think this was a much better weekend when you look at the overall result rather than trying to pick holes in certain facets, which perhaps wouldn't have pleased Red Bull, depending on what time you would have asked them. Oh, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a solid weekend from Sergio. Um, all you have to do as a recovery driver is compare it, Sergio's recovery drive today with Lewis Hamilton's recovery drive in the sprint. Yes, there's less laps, admittedly. Um, but going from 18th to, what was it, he finished ninth. He was at the points. I can't remember. He's yeah. where he finished in the sprint. But it's only, again, nine positions where... Over a course of a race distance, Sergio went from 15th to 3rd. That's a brilliant recovery, yes, in the superior car. But there were some quite some nice fights there with George, with Carlos um, through through the race. And it was just, yeah, he got a nice solid weekend getting those points under. And after his nasty Friday where Christian was very displeased with the performance of Sergio to turn it around in a splendid way and uh, just miss out on the 1-2. Uh, which would have been uh, lovely for the Red Bull team. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, I know a lot was said on the commentary about the job that Carlos Sainz had done to prevent Perez from perhaps having a chance at going after Charles Leclerc. But even if that wasn't really an issue, was Perez realistically going to catch Leclerc? Maybe I've got my Ferrari hat on, but I feel like Leclerc had enough to cover Perez off, even if he'd had just driven past Sainz at the first attempt and got past him without any trouble. I think the problem is the uh, DRS efficiency that Red Bull have. It's it's so powerful that I'm just guessing Ferrari didn't want to risk it because if you got down to the final lap and you have those uh, well, three you have for the three DRS zones and given how efficient it is, I just I just think they're such they've got such an advantage. Well, they've got advantage everywhere, but they've got a particular advantage with the DRS. So I'm just guessing Ferrari just wanted to play it safe because we all know how easily things could go wrong for um, wrong for Ferrari. So seeing as they were in for a solid result, I guess they wanted to do everything they could to defend it. Yeah, very, very true. And I think in fairness to Ferrari, whilst Red Bull obviously were brilliant in those particular areas and breezed past almost all of the competition that came against them in those battles, Ferrari did seem to do the best job in terms of defending against them. And, and at the very least, they can probably say, well, we made it harder for them to pass us than anybody else. So you've got to take the small victories where you can. And I think on a day like today, 
you just got to say to Perez, look, I think P3 was probably the best result they could have hoped for under the circumstances. And it was a great drive. And this will give him so much more confidence going into races going forward. I think there's been a lot of pressure on Sergio Perez for the fourth time in a row in a main race. Sergio Perez has failed to get into Q3. And of course, on this occasion, similar to what we saw last season, although things went down a little bit differently in terms of the timing of these penalties that Perez got compared to last season. But two, I think it was two or three lap times that were deleted. And Christian Horner, you could see, was being interviewed afterwards following this. He wasn't happy about this. They mentioned that Checo was a bit ill. And I think Christian said something like, well, he wasn't three deleted lap times ill or anything like that, saying, look, he should have put one in to get through. He had the pace to be on the front row alongside his teammates. So overall, the fact that he's been able to recover those poor performances in quality, get P2 in the sprint, P3 in the main race, I think... Red Bull can be pretty happy with how his recovery went today, on top of what Max was doing, of course. You know, Max was in a league of his own, as we've already mentioned. And Red Bull certainly hope that Checo would continue this form going into the rest of the season. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a, they, we've talked about in previous episodes about Sergio needing to stop the slide where he, he had that knocking perform um, confidence or uh, where Max had thrashed him and it's just he's completely taken out the title um championship um so having this solid race weekend means he's got now got a platform to uh, build up his uh, race, um confidence and and uh, maybe even fight max for a win or two in the over the rest of the season yeah absolutely a quick one on max before we move on to another topic i mean and there's so much to talk about his performance this weekend. Uh, I really enjoyed some of the overtaking that he did have to do. Very clever use of the DRS zones. Something as well that Perez probably needed to make better use of when he was fighting Carlos yeah. Sainz in particular. Um, of course, those that would have seen on the replay, that would have been quite interesting to watch. But with Max, there was discussion on the radio before the end of the race. Max had a 20-plus second advantage over Charles Leclerc, very much in cruise control, just bringing it home. He wanted the fastest lap. He asked Red Bull, can we make a pit stop to go for the fastest lap, put some fresh soft tyres on? Red Bull were quite reluctant to do that. Now, Perez had the fastest lap at the time, but Red Bull, as they have been this season, have been repeatedly warning Max and urging caution about trying to risk a race victory just to get that extra point. And in a way, I love this about Max Verstappen. You know, every point counts to him, even if he's like a million points ahead of everyone. He just wants to win every single point he can get. And Max effectively made the decision to make the pit stop very late into the race, which gave him one clean lap on the soft tyres. That creates a risky scenario where Red Bull are under pressure, unnecessary pressure, mind you, to make sure that pit stop goes right. And we've seen in the past sometimes that when the team aren't quite ready to do something like that, things can go wrong. It might be a slow pit stop, which causes him to lose position. A tyre might not be attached properly, or there might be other things. Is there a concern, potentially, where Red Bull might have to address this with Max, where someone needs to say to him, look, we understand you want every single point, but it's not necessary and you're creating more risk and pressure for us than necessary by trying to go for points in this manner or do they just keep going as they are until something goes wrong probably? I don't think so. I think given the domination that they have and, you know, we, again, it's all theories. We'll never know the full pace of that Red Bull. Um, but I just feel they have such an advantage at the moment that 
they can afford to take these risks. And and look, we know, we know that Max on the radio, generally speaking, if he feels that anything is wrong or the car's not performing exactly how he wants it to, he's not shy to raise it. So I think the car was in such a sweet spot that he had the confidence to go, you know what? We have we have this time gap. And like the the fact that he was <laughs> The, the level of domination, I think the moment summed up for me was the fact that Leclerc was behind him. So I think it's like six seconds behind him. And there's Max in front weaving to get the heat and the tyres in a recharge mode in order to go for that fastest lap. I think for me, that sums up how dominant and how comfortable uh, Max and Red Bull are. But another thing I want to touch on with Max, you know, he's talking about the DRS detection point and that intelligence. I feel that's something that the younger drivers, well, I'm going to say, the gaming generation, because I feel some of the older drivers like Sergio Perez, like I'm sure they've all they've all played the games at, at some point. But I feel this younger generation of drivers actually become like a part of who they are. We know they like to do um, sim racing leagues. We're seeing it famously with uh, Verstappen and um, Lando Norris in particular. Some of the other drivers, Leclerc, we've seen Albon as well get involved. They're 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 playing these games so often that they will be. They in the sim racing leagues they have they will be in a situation where they have to think about the DRS detection point. Whereas I think some of these other drivers that don't take part in the gaming are actually a little bit slow, and we actually saw that with Sergio Perez. And that's yet another thing that Max has over Sergio. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to pay attention to these small details, and you know, a lot of people will say that Red Bull are dominating right right now because of how good the car is and Max is enjoying having the fastest car, one of the fastest cars F1 has ever seen relative to the competition. And of course, you can all make your own opinions on those particular statements. But the fact is, is that we are seeing certain facets of Max's driving, like, as you said, Courtney, those 400 IQ plays where, like when he passed Leclerc, for example, I thought that was absolutely genius where he knew he had the pace to pass Leclerc wherever he wanted to, but he deliberately waited to pass him at turn three. And I think it was only because Charles gave up the ghost and just went around the outside anyway to let Max go, uh, where Max was overtaken before the DRS detection zone for, or for turn four, the activation zone, actually. And he pulls that off. And then you've got Checo trying to pass signs a few times. And... Checo each time until he eventually got past signs he went into that detection zone before signs did into turn three and wasn't really thinking about that and in, until he did did it right he never wasn't able to get past signs so it's those little elements of their driving that Checo perhaps needs to be a bit more mindful of I suppose if he wants to bridge that gap to his teammate who right now is in an absolute class of his own and it's incredible to see let's move on to the next topic of discussion, which I think might be appropriate given what went down this weekend, but Courtney, what is making Courtney's rant this weekend? It's an easy one, and it's a word that we've all heard a million times, and I'm sure we'll keep on hearing the phrase for, in the coming days, and that is track limits. Why am I not surprised? I mean, on the subject of track limits, before you go on with your rant, did anyone see Ted Kravitz doing The Notebook? afterwards where he's sort of stepping over the white line and even he was uh, claiming to breach track limits halfway through his notebook so he had to go back and start it again and delete the old one uh, good old Ted never changed but uh, yes track limits big topic this weekend Courtney and uh, without further ado please rant my friend I, do, I just feel it was a little bit too strict this weekend um, the fact that we're gonna potentially have some race results change at the time of recording that 
once again, you know, drivers are leaving the circuit and actually not sure where they're going to finish the race. We know the top three are clear, so then I've about the race win being changed. But imagine if, so we say, Max did do it, make enough mistakes to have a race win taken away. Again, it just looks amateurish from the case of running the sport. That's an issue in its own right that we've mentioned many times on this podcast. But yeah, for me, I'm a bit more old-fashioned. I think if you're so keen to punish a driver for going beyond limits why not implement things such as gravel chaps i'm mr gravel chap i like the old school if you're gonna deliberately go out wide you will get punished for it so for me you either got to go about it one or the other way you either become a little bit more lenient with the track limits or you you put in because put in some gravel chaps say like, i don't like the sausage curbs i think the sausage curbs are dangerous they're counterproductive but something like a gravel chap, knowing, you know, the driver will know, well, I was I was going to swear then. A word beginning with S and in the T. If I go out there, I'm going to end up in the, in the cat litter. So I just think there needs to be something to put the driver off that isn't going to be dangerous or isn't going to be... It's, again, it's all the balancing act that we're all trying to find on a race weekend. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I'm, I was just looking through some of the data throughout this weekend in qualifying, we had, I think it was 47 reported lap times that were deleted. I mean, half of them were Sergio Perez, in fairness, but even still, um, all jokes aside, of course, Perez fans don't hate me. Um, Lewis got done a few times he, as well, though. Yeah, and in the race as well, of course, you yeah. know, as it all went down. And we saw a little bit of this last year. And I mentioned Perez, albeit jokingly, last season, if we all remember, he'd gotten through to, Q, to Q3 on a lap that eventually would have been deleted because he breached track limits. And the FIA and all the stewards at the time didn't pick up on this until the replay showed that. He ended up getting a grid penalty, but I can't remember who it was. It might have been George Russell that missed out on going to Q3, someone like that. I might be wrong. Um, I know the Mercs crashed out in those sessions for different reasons, but um, I know somebody missed out on going through to Q3 as a result of that. And, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on the stewards to get this right. And, and the topic of track limits was being brought up all weekend long. And it kind of makes you think about your perception on track limits. And for me, I'm very old school in this regard, in that the track is basically, the limits are dictated by the white lines, not necessarily the curbs. The FIA in the past, depending on what circuit we go to, have different variations on what they consider track limits to be. And that's fine, because I think as long as you make that communication clear to drivers and the teams throughout the weekend and you stay consistent with those, it should be okay. We saw this in Bahrain a couple of years ago with Max and Lewis, where on one day there were strict on track limits for a certain area of the track. On the race day, they were much more lax about it. And I think the lack of communication confused a lot of people. But in this case, they were quite clear and concise on what they deemed as track limits. Basically, the white lines at certain parts of the circuit, mostly not turns 9 and 10 at the end of the, of the lap. And this is where we got all of the controversy from. And in the race, we saw so many instances of track limits being breached, so many penalties, so many warnings, so many black and white flags. It almost felt more impressive to see which drivers weren't going to finish the race with any penalties. And pr also, there would be plenty of reward in that. So it's a little bit strange. I know they asked the drivers as well. 
not to go on too long about this particular point, but they asked for feedback on the drivers on what their thoughts on track limits. I know they asked Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen about this. And Max, I think he went and said at one point throughout this weekend that the line should be wider at the Red Bull ring to solve its ongoing track limits issue. Charles Leclerc suggests returning to the old curb rules where the curb on the outside is where the track limit is and not the white line. So... I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Lee, let's hear from you on this one on track limits. Um, what did you make of the track limits controversy this weekend? And and where do you stand on track limits? Where should the the, the line be, so to speak? Uh, so for me, I was quite happy that they enforced it. I've always been in the opinion that the white lines should be the track limits. Uh, I wasn't a fan of, in the past, with the curbs being considered track limits. Um, I didn't understand why... They they chose that as a rule when the rules were clearly the white line. So I'm quite happy that they've enforced it. But it, it does make the sport look silly that they've had so many drivers getting penalties and lap times deleted throughout the weekend. So there, there obviously needs to be a balance. But I, I probably do agree with Courtney that they need to be probably look at gravel tracks. Because through the um, spin race, when it was wet, there wasn't that many drivers touching the white lines. So they know how to drive without touching the white lines. Um, it's just obviously in the dry, it gains them more lap time if they push it a bit. So the fact that they, they can do it, they choose not to do it, means that there needs, the, the risk reward for the driver in the dry is not as high as it should be for them not to do it. So having gravel traps, making the curve smaller, and oh, so there's more punishment for going across them or you've got a warning, you've got a warning, you've got a warning. Yeah. Or you've got a, a black and white flag warning. Ah, oh, it's a five second penalty. It's like, you do it once, tough. That's it. You're in the gravel trap. <laughs> you spin out. Yeah, you yes, it may cause a safety car, because you, especially on the momentum in which tie you may spin and which cause an accident, admittedly, yes. But you're out. That's your punishment. But if you're super lucky, you may actually get back to the track and may make up, um, change your tires and you may make up the spaces, places again. But, um, I do think it's the right thing to do to enforce the uh, white lines. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, the drivers are always going to push back on track limits. And it's no, it's not surprising in Austria because we had this issue last year where the drivers were saying, look, the track limits are a bit too harsh. We need to try and widen it a little bit. But then the FIA will say, well, well no, we don't want you taking liberties. You guys are the best drivers in the world at what you do. And you should be able to stay within the white lines. 
I don't see anything wrong with that personally. I think, you know, as someone that used to do a bit of racing themselves, I, I'm absolutely an advocate for that sort of things. I think if you can't keep it within the white lines and you're going too fast, you need to deal with that. I think, and, and introducing gravel traps, perhaps at turns nine and 10, like we used to have years ago, may be a possible solution to that because the drivers aren't going to take liberties going onto the gravel if it means it's going to beach the car or crash it. There might be some safety reasons behind why they've gone against that in recent years, and that's understandable, but um, there definitely is a bit of a battle going on between between how they should enforce track limits at this particular circuit and also how to mitigate people breaching it quite regularly. Uh, and that seems to be an issue in the race today because we had so many incidents where drivers were breaching track limits. There were penalties handed out left, right, and centre, for loads of these things, uh, black and white flags. It, it was absolutely ridiculous, quite frankly. You used to see a new notification. It was almost a case of, okay, it's like playing bingo or something. Like, which drive is it going to be next that's going to get penalised for? I think Hamilton got a penalty after about 10, 11 laps after breaching track limits. And then the rest of the race, after Norris originally reported Hamilton, you had Hamilton on the radio reporting this incident and that incident and this incident and that incident. It was, And I know the broadcast focuses only on this, and it has the potential to set a narrative, even though it's not fair, because other drivers would have been doing that too. But it's Hamilton. If he moans about something, you're going to hear about it on the broadcast. That's just how it goes. But um, absolutely crazy stuff. I'd love to get people's thoughts on what they thought about the track limits debacle this weekend. But moving on to why we're talking about track limits, and I think it's important here, because this is why the race result is not 100% confirmed yet. So as we're talking at this point in time of recording... We don't know the final race result, and I want to explain why. So after the race, Aston Martin lodged an appeal at 5.30 local time, I think it was, or 6.30 local time, either way, it doesn't matter, to the stewards. And basically their complaint was that they wanted to appeal the race result because not all of the infringements of track limits violations had been investigated and accounted for throughout the race. So we had that review. And the appeal was upheld by the FIA and they were conducting a full review of all the infringements of track limits throughout the race. And that was ongoing at the point Aston Martin made the appeal. As a result, it means now that they are currently totting it all together to see what the final result is going to be when certain infringements that weren't punished are going to be punished and then adding on penalties subsequent penalties if you like to race times and all of that stuff eventually we're going to get to a point where any moment at some point in this podcast we may even get it where we get the final result and i'll be able to confirm that and we'll go from there they're going to try and put that through i think chris medlin the f1 journalist said it best on social media i'm just going to read these tweets just to outline what's going on right now so the fia says there were 1200 times crazy given this like a 60 odd lap race 1200 times that they had to look at potential track limit infringement and prior to the submission of a protest against the result we had already begun a full review of the track limits infringement which is currently ongoing the results will be updated once the review of those which were not able to be reviewed during the race is complete the fia also recommends gravel traps are installed on the exit of turn 9 and 10 so kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier now, the protest was upheld. The FI have already said they're reviewing the incidents and will update on the result. And this was also put forward by David Croft, the Sky F1 commentator as well. So at the moment, guys, we don't know what the full result is at this point in time. Hopefully we'll get confirmation of it soon. What we can say, however, 
According to F1 journalist Scott Mitchell at the race, and I think a few other journalists have mentioned this as well, the top three finishers, Verstappen, Leclerc and Perez, remain unaffected at this point in time. And that's important because Perez was one warning away from getting a five-second time penalty, which would have demoted him off the podium. So it's very important that they may have confirmed right now that those three are safe. Everyone down after that will have to wait and see. But, um, I mean, there we are, guys. I don't know if you were able to bear with me whilst I explained all of that, but um, I had the word farce and accountancy, not racing, ringing through my head as I was reading and going through all of that. I mean, Courtney Lee, I need you to weigh in here because I feel like I'm getting a bit tired of the sound of my own voice right now going through all this. Please, weigh in. I I think it was clever uh, for Aston Martin to lodge the appeal in the first place, given that Fernando Alonso was probably one of the best behaved drivers in that sense. Um, I think they put it, uh, I think I've been to Kravitz again in the commentary saying, you know, how sort of like how wily uh, Fernando Alonso is as a driver. We all know this. So in the midst of all this chaos, uh, Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin could well be one of the teams that could benefit and gain a few points from this. So I do think it's a clever ploy from the, uh, from the Aston Martin team to put on the appeal. And, and until we, uh, you know, bring on the gravel traps that we all, the three of us seem to be king for, that does need to be a deterrent. So I think it's really good that Aston Martin have done this. And uh, what about you, Lee? Yeah, well, um, and all teams look to make an advantage. Obviously, Aston Martin wouldn't be appealing if they didn't feel they'll gain an advantage from the result if all penalties and um, and infringements were applied. Um, but when I saw the announcement, I was like, I don't know, you just confirmed the top three are fine. But I was like, is Fernando Alonso going to win <laughs> the Austrian Grand Prix by uh, um, infringements and penalties? And it's like, if, if if any driver was going to win it in that style, it would be Fernando because that's just going to be. <laughs> uh, obviously, it's not happened, but like, oh, that's just the first thought I thought of when I saw it. And it's like, okay, but let's see where the Aston Martins end up. That's for sure. I'm sure they'll be uh, trying to gain a few extra points. Yeah, I mean that would have been the IQ play of the season if. After everything that had gone down with track limits this weekend, Aston Martin ended up winning this Grand Prix. As I said, all I can reiterate from what we've heard is that Verstappen, Leclerc and Perez are safe as the top three. So that won't change. And I think some Ferrari fans out there are hoping that Max might have got a five-second penalty. Even if he did, he still would have won the Grand Prix by a tenth of a second. That fastest lap that he put in could prove to be, could have proven to have been much more important and close than Red Bull would have liked personally. But um, it seems that at least those three are safe. So we'll have to wait and see how that all goes down. In total, I think F1 subreddit on Twitter, from what I saw from what they put down, a total of 61 warnings were given in the race that we know of. There could be plenty more after this. 11 black and white flags, eight penalties in one absolutely crazy race. So the track limits debate definitely requires some form of resolution going forward. We may get a system next season in Austria because they've just renewed the race for at least until 2030 from what I've heard. I think they put it out this morning. We could end up with a scenario, guys, next season where the same track limits rules apply. And because of that, the teams may be a lot more strict on it and we may end up with a less crazy race. I don't see that being likely, quite frankly. I think so much has gone on this weekend. Where I don't think even the stewards would want to have to go through that level of detail in order to establish a final race classification at the end of it. Yeah, well, the, 
the fact that in the the statement that you read earlier that DFA have recommended gravel traps at turns nine and ten, normally um, circuit hosts normally act on the FAA recommendations. So we may be lucky that next year or in the coming seasons there will be gravel trap and will that will minimise most of the infringements in future years. Yeah, at least I hope. <laughs> no absolutely i certainly hope so as well um let's move on to another talking point and let's talk about ferrari because this was a very good weekend for ferrari good pace in qualifying good pace in both the sprint and the main races itself carlos Sainz getting on the podium in the sprint a little bit unlucky not to be on the podium for the main race this weekend but again his consistency is showing through charles leclerc however not a great Saturday, must be said. He got bogged down in a battle with Lando Norris and Esteban Ocon. It kind of ruined his sprint race weekend after his grid demotion following uh, impeding Piastri, I believe it was, in the uh, sprint qualifying shootout session. But overall, a great weekend for them. P2 for Charles Leclerc, P4 for signs in the main race after a P3 in the sprint, as we mentioned earlier on. Some big points for Ferrari, which now puts them 20 points at the point of recording. Of course, this could change after the final classification comes out. But they're back in the fight with Aston Martin and Mercedes. And we saw certain improvements from Ferrari, particularly with their race pace in Canada. And I'm sure a lot of people probably put the right caveats out saying, look, this was a track that would have suited Ferrari. The strategy came to their hands as well and the way that that race played out. We'll wait and see how they cope at another circuit. Fast forward to Austria. Ferrari, once again, looked strong in quality, as we expected, but their race pace was also very, very good. And quite frankly, with the exclusion of Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc was also in a class of his own, perhaps Sergio Perez being the only driver for the majority of the race that could have challenged him on that. Um, I think you've got to look at that as a big result for Ferrari. That 800th podium as well. Ferrari's certainly looking like they're on the way up at the moment. Yeah, in terms of raw pace, they've definitely made the right steps forwards. It'd be interesting to see if Ferrari will be one of the teams looking for a race win or raw pace by the end of the season. Time will tell, obviously. Um, but obviously, I don't, I don't want to forget about Carlos Sainz. In this, I think Carlos Sainz was actually really good today. I think, um, you know, in the race period, we were talking about, you know, making a, a magic wheel for Ferrari mess outs. Let's not forget there was one because of the slow stops. They wanted to double stack instead of um, letting Carlos Sainz go. This seemed to be the right strategic play, to be fair, but the slow pit stops did seem to harm Carlos Sainz quite a lot. And he was challenging Charles at the beginning of the race. Let's, let's not forget that. So, I do feel that Carlos Sainz was in line for a much better result. And if anything, and that sounds like I'm trying to put it down on the weekend, but I think if anything, the results that Ferrari actually got aren't a true reflection of the raw pace they had this weekend. No, probably not. I think Ferrari will be a little bit disappointed, at least in the main race, that they weren't able to get a double podium. I think the pace was probably there for them, just about, given where Perez had started the main race today. Carlos Sainz taken to social media to basically expressed his thoughts on how the race went down today. He said he wasn't happy with P4 as he thought that they deserved the podium. The race was compromised by the first stop. Of course, remembering the VSC where Ferrari had to double stack, we had two slow pit stops for both himself and Leclerc, which cost him time. He tried everything to recover, but got the penalty and couldn't defend from Checo at the end. Positive weekend overall, though. Good progress. Um, Lee, 
would you agree with Carlos Sainz? He seems to be putting a lot of emphasis on the early pit stop issues that Ferrari had under the VSC that potentially could have cost him P3 today. Would you agree with that? I I, I would agree. I agree with um, what Carlos said, and I would agree with what Courtney said, that the it's not a true reflection. Um, I did say Ferrari would be a surprise this weekend, and obviously they, they were. But I think the strategy call of holding position earlier on in the race, which Carlos kept trying to say to the engineers, I, I want to, basically, I'm the faster driver. Um, as like no hold hold I think was the wrong choice they should have swapped and see what Carlos could do um, and they our team if they're solid teammates will swap position back and immediately Carlos may have not got the five second penalty if they allowed Carlos to get ahead because he was pushing because of the slow pit stop oh, all, the, all these variations that could have not happened to Carlos's race and that could have enabled a double Ferrari podium but I feel the decision not to let Carlos have a go when he was the faster driver at that period of the race. Yes, you could argue it was the DRS giving him that advantage, but we don't know because we didn't let him pass. And they could have, they, Charles could have let Carlos pass in a position that he didn't lose track time. So I think that was um, a mistake on Ferrari's part to at least have a go for the race win. Yeah, they just gave it up, but they didn't even try. Um, so I feel that was the thing that was wrong um, for the race weekend, which really hurt Carlos with the double stack as well, being in position that he couldn't um, fight and gain track position. Yeah. But secondly, yeah. I do want to add on the Ferrari strategy that there was a moment that I thought they'd blown it when there was um, speaking to Charles about, oh, do you want to do a third pit stop? And he's like, no. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I was like, are, they, are they tires that bad that they're going to do a third pit stop and everyone else is doing two stops or one stop? And it's like, Ferrari doing three. But they've given the lad, there. they've given the lad PTSD for goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, that was a weird one because we were talking about Ferrari making apparent gains on their tire wear issues. And, you know, based on what we saw in Canada and what we saw this weekend in Austria, there is an argument to be made that Ferrari, at the very least, have made significant improvements on their tyre wear issues, because that was a problem that held them back against Aston Martin and Mercedes. And as I said, if Ferrari had qualified much more representative in Canada to where their pace was, there's an argument to be made there that they could have been on the podium at that race as well. So I think we'll see at Silverstone where Ferrari really are on these tyres and how they're handling tyre wear and their race pace, how that holds up, because Austria and Canada with respect, were two tracks I expected Ferrari to be pretty decent at. For different reasons, Ferrari impressed me a lot more, I think, in Austria, how they handled their race pace over the longevity of the stint compared to Canada. But at the same time, they were tracks where the softer compounds of tyres, which are more favourable to Ferrari compared to the harder ones, uh, were being used. Silverstone, we're going to be going to the harder compounds, similar to what we saw at Barcelona. So I think if Ferrari is strong there then I definitely think there's a lot of confidence that Ferrari could be in this fight for P2 in the Constructors' Championship. As I said, they're not too far away at this point in time. 20 points. Another weekend or two like today, they're right in it again. So good signs for Ferrari. Um, On the pit stop, yes, there were slow stops for Ferrari, both the VSC stops. I'm going to defend them on this one because a lot of people were saying on social media, Ferrari missed their opportunity to pit them under the VSC and it would have cost them. We saw the replay when Leclerc got the notification of a VSC, he literally was passing 
the yeah. white line. So he couldn't yeah. rejoin that. So he wouldn't have been allowed to. He would have been penalised for doing that anyway. And Carlos Sainz was, what was he like, less than a second behind him. So th- he wouldn't have been able to react either. So I don't think you can blame Ferrari for that. I think some people were saying perhaps Ferrari should have stayed out like Red Bull did. I think when you weigh it all up, I don't think that would have made a difference to the result today. I think if we're being uber critical of signs here, whilst I understand his frustration and the strategy with whether he could have been ahead of Leclerc or not. Um, I mean, as I said, I'm not going to go into that because we're going to be here all day talking about that. But I think the fact that he made that mistake, which cost him a podium today by getting that penalty, I think he has to focus on that because, look, perhaps Perez may have got him anyway, but the classification right now says that he finished less than five seconds behind Checo. So you take five seconds off his race time, minus the extra stuff he would have had in the pits anyway for losing that extra time, he probably would have finished P3 today. So it's a tough one for signs. I sympathise, but I think we have to look at the positives. Ferrari looking very good. Leclerc had a good day today. Signs had a good weekend overall, things considered. So yeah, on the up, more upgrades coming for Ferrari too, as we saw this weekend. So they're definitely looking pretty, pretty handy. I want to move the conversation on to, as of right now, the driver of the day, Lando Norris. What a weekend for him. Qualifying, he was superb this weekend. Uh, Top four starts in both uh, races today uh, and also the sprint race yesterday where he started P3. Unlucky in the sprint race, the way the start panned out for him it got bogged down quite a long way almost happened to him again today but he recovered it well had a great battle where he bested Sir Lewis Hamilton uh, today it must be said in a McLaren that's had its own upgrades hopefully for McLaren this isn't just one of those one-off races where Norris is excellent at Austria and he is really I think it's like the fifth time he's finished in the top five or something crazy like that so yeah, what do we make of uh, Norris this weekend and McLaren? Is this a sign that McLaren could be back in the front of the midfield fight or at the very least maybe fighting the the big boy, big boys again? Yeah, with Lando, fantastic performance, but we almost expect it from him. Um, I, I think he's been one of the most consistent drivers out of, shall we say, the big hitters so far this season. Um, it is the... the uh, the upgrades are certainly encouraging. Obviously, they won on Oscar Piastri's car, so it'd be interesting to see how Oscar improves next weekend with the uh, with the upgrades. We all, we all know that Lando will be getting the best out of the car, which is why I always put Lando on my expected performers in our um, in our race previews. But I am still of the opinion, I don't want to put a down on McLaren, but I'm still of the opinion that Lando should now be seeking a move to a top team if it becomes um, available to him. Because as of now, I feel that Lando's currently being wasted in the current position that he's in. He can dice with pretty much any driver on the grid. So I want to be seeing the guy regularly challenging for podiums and race wins because he certainly has the ability to do so. Yeah, he seems to be impressing more and more people every single week right now. And often we throw the caveat out that, look, Lando's in a dreadful car right now. So, you know, you have to give him credit where credit's due. As I said, this weekend, the upgrades that went on that McLaren, I think it was just his McLaren that got the upgrades. I don't think Piastri got those upgrades either. So, uh, I mean, if they do the job for Lando, I'm sure Piastri will be looking forward to getting a hold of a car like that once those upgrades are available to him. But Lee, it does feel right now with Lando Norris that it almost seems criminal 
that he's not in a much more competitive car compared to those around him because I feel like we are missing out on an opportunity to see what this young lad can really do. Hopefully, it's just inevitable at this point. Uh, I definitely think it's inevitable. I think he's displayed enough talent and brilliance to deserve a space um, at the top team. If that's McLaren getting up there themselves, obviously, which would be Zach Brown's preference, or he's jumped ship to a another team, be it Red Bull, Mercedes, um, or Ferrari, um, to wait and see. But he definitely deserves to be up there. He's he's warrants to be fighting for race wins and championships. I'd love to see the day that does happen. But it is inevitable that he, um, he will get there, be it if it's next year or be it if it's in three years, I do to say. But it's coming. Uh, Lando will be up the top. Um, but I do want to say the upgrades, it's obviously he's in a lot happier space in the performance of the car. He always does well around Austria. But I think right now, um, McLaren or especially Lando Norris has jumped the fence for Alpine land and he's riding around on Alpine's rides mm-hmm. going, oh, this is fun. Well, I like being <laughs> like being in Alpine land. Uh, I want to get into Ferrari land. Uh, I mean, metaphorically in performance, not uh, saying about obviously driving on the team. That's just my metaphor that I've been using for the season. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you never know. Stranger things have happened in Formula One, but certainly a driver right now who continues to impress. I, I, I don't think there's much more we can say on Lando Norris except get that boy in a proper car. With all due respect to McLaren, hopefully they can perhaps propel him up at the moment, but uh, certainly exciting to see right now. Let's move on to Mercedes. Now, we knew, like Canada, Mercedes was going to be a little bit... uh, Well, they're going to have a hard time to find their form and pace in Austria, despite the fact that certain elements of the Canadian Grand Prix and what we saw at the Spanish Grand Prix, which suggested that Mercedes may have found a way to prepare themselves to the front of the chasing pack. As we feared, it was another difficult weekend for them. George Russell, for whatever reason, just didn't seem to be anywhere fast this weekend. He was just struggling always up. Didn't make it through to Q3 on either sprint qualifying or the main race qualifying. Hamilton in the race, as I said, breached track limits after about 10, 12 laps. Most of the communication we saw from Ham- heard from Hamilton afterwards was complaining about this driver breaching track limits and this driver breaching track limits, which, to be fair, everybody was doing because Lando was doing it with him earlier in the race. In fact, McLaren instructed him to, to make sure that the stewards were aware of what was going on. We even saw Toto Wolf getting on the comms saying to Lewis, look, we know the car is bad right now, but please just drive the car. You know, it's like, I'm fed up of hearing you moaning. We get it. It's tough, but just go and do the job and we'll deal with it afterwards. And following the race, Toto was saying like the car is not really doing right now. So, uh, yeah, what can we make from this weekend for Mercedes? Is it a sign that perhaps they're advantage that they had was short-lived or is this just another one of those circuits where Mercedes struggled and we just have to move on for the next one just think a lot of it comes down to upgrade strategy we know that we've already mentioned about Ferrari they've made some uh, strong upgrades that have benefited the car Finch Charles Leclerc himself they've actually brought some upgrades forward so obviously they they were happy with the uh with the testing and research they were doing behind the scenes so they've brought some of these updates forward Aston Martin Another team that have uh, made some uh, slight improvements to their car. And we know how close it is between these three teams. So there will be swings uh, from track to track. But I, I feel these big upgrades um, that, you know, there's a lot of talk. This could well be the B-spec car that they've been talking about since pre-season. These upgrades are going to be season-defining 
for Mercedes because I, I feel if they don't make any real momentum with these upgrades, they could find themselves falling back in this um in this tight battle. Because at one point I had Mercedes down as uh, finishing second in the constructors, and these upgrades that are coming could define them finishing second or fourth, given how close things are. So yes, this week was horrible. Uh, this week this race was horrible for them, but it could be. Emphasis on the word could be completely different with this beast back car in Silverstone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Yeah, the hope will be for Mercedes that you know, Barcelona wasn't just a one-off and that Canada and Austria aren't reflections of where Mercedes really are right now because this battle for P2 has swung quite a few different ways over the last few races. I mean, as we said, before it looked like Aston Martin were the favourites um, and then we went to Barcelona. Mercedes very much had the upper hand there after their upgrade package in Monaco. And then Canada, even though Aston Martin got the result, the assumption was that perhaps Ferrari may have edged, edged ahead of both of them in regard. And, and we saw that even more emphatically this weekend. Lee, in your mind, where do you see this going after perhaps the summer break right now? Because it feels like all three of them are quite close to each other. But Mercedes, there's always that talk, as Courtney's mentioned, that there's going to be a huge upgrade package coming at Silverstone where after improvements that have been made to the concept change that we saw in Monaco. Mercedes made like like Ferrari have understood this concept better to introduce a proper package. Do you think there's confidence right now with Mercedes that perhaps after Silverstone in the summer break, they could find themselves again in that position where they have the advantage over their rivals? Well, if I recall a few well, weeks ago um, when they bought the upgrades, kind of feels Monaco or Barcelona, Toto Wolf said they've got their upgrade plan the Silverstone, then there's going to be one another package after the summer break. Um, obviously, the last two races haven't been too great for them, but uh, there could be a concern that Barcelona was a one-off. But they know from their data, if they're seeing their results, which obviously um, from the previous uh, iteration, it, they weren't seeing what they were expecting the simulator on the track. So if they're seeing that their data is marrying up to what they're actually experiencing, that will give them confidence that at least they're understanding their dynamic performance a bit better. Um, and that the obviously that, that means the upgrade's more likely to work. But as Courtney did say that Silverstone's gonna be the key indicator. If these next batch of upgrades don't work as they expect them to, then they could be lost down the down the, the tunnel or mohill, whatever you want to call it that um, they've gone down the wrong direction again with this new concept. So they need, Mercedes need this concept 
next upgrades to work to know that they're going in the right direction, not just to obviously close the gap, but for their own sake of time as a team of we know where we're going because at the moment this weekend, I think Mercedes were very lost on how to extract the performance from their car, um, which obviously bowled over with uh, Lewis's complaints um, on the radio. Um, but they, it's getting to the point after the summer break that Mercedes, if they don't see any iterations, if they're not already, be working on next year's car because it's just, um, they just seem to be so lost at the moment um, in the last two races. Sorry, Connie, you yeah, look like you wanted to weigh in there. Make, yeah. Sorry, Adam. Yeah. Uh, with, with the Mercedes, with the current characteristics of this Mercedes, it's going to sound like I'm making excuses here after <laughs> the typical, oh, Mercedes fanboy, da, 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 da. Let me elaborate. We know that despite the improvements compared to last year, Mercedes compared to the competitors st- still seem to have the edges to car. They have the biggest sweet spot. But it's certainly the edges. And I feel that with the race format this weekend, with not as many practice sessions, enough time to practice, I feel they went wrong with the setup. But obviously, that's down to Mercedes. That's a weakness to their car. But I do feel that the, the format of this race weekend didn't give them the chance to find that sweet spot compared to how they were able to in previous races. Yeah, it's a tough one because one thing we've known about this Mercedes concept, despite the fact that it has changed to uh, something... A little bit like a Red Bull. I don't want to say it's fully like a Red Bull because I think Ferrari recently and Aston Martin have gone down that route. Mercedes is still sticking to their guns to a degree. At least for now, it might change a lot more next season when they can sort of, you know, change the chassis and other elements that we're not expecting to change this year in a cost cap era. But this car is still very draggy. And on a circuit like Austria, that was always going to be an issue. And perhaps it played a huge part today and this weekend as to why Mercedes were a bit off the pace compared to Ferrari. And, you know, ultimately they were still beaten by Aston Martin, which I think surprised a lot of people because Aston Martin, or at least particularly at Fernando Alonso, they were never really in the frame. You only ever really saw parts of them throughout this weekend. It was only until the race results come out and then all of a sudden you think, oh, Hamilton finished behind Alonso. Didn't see that coming. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. So, yeah, I think we have to be a bit more patient with Mercedes. There's certainly more to come. And I think we're going to start to see the picture of who has the advantage between those three teams and who's best placed to challenge Red Bull going forward as we approach the summer break. We may not even know until after that at that point. But, of course, we'll talk about that in due course. Quick note on George Russell this weekend. As I said... Didn't really seem to be anywhere this weekend, but he got P8 in the main race. He got P8 in the sprint race, managed to do a great job to uh, be the first on the soft tyres and take that gamble. It worked for him to a degree. Um, I mean, what do we make of him of late? Because I don't want to put too much critical pressure on him, but it does feel like Hamilton is starting to edge away from Russell a little bit in terms of ultimate performance at the moment. Is that something you guys are seeing? Is that a concern for Russell going forward? Yeah, there is a slight, I feel slight drop back in George's form. Um, And obviously, if Mercedes are going to take steps forward, you know, the difference in that performance could well make the difference. We've been saying it all season, you know, you want to have both drivers at their best because that can make the difference between finishing P2 and P4. So Mercedes are going to need both their drivers to be on their game. We've seen Carlos Sainz and the club, both of them were on point this weekend. Yes, the car was behaving better, but 
this weekend, Ferrari had the advantage over both their competitors, not only on raw pace, but the fact that both of their drivers were getting the best out of their package. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I do agree with Courtney. Um, but George has definitely not been keeping pace with Lewis as of late. Uh, either Lewis has obviously found that sweet spot um, that George hasn't, or it's just, uh, we know how formidable George uh, Lewis can be. Uh, maybe it's just Lewis has found that next step that we know he can do within the obviously the performance of the car. Um, one thing I do want to add about George's performance is that in this sprint, he must have intercepted our uh, WhatsApp chat because I said about someone needs to fit on the softs and George comes and pits on the soft. So he must have uh, seen my message um, and I'm, got my strategy. Uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, I jest. He didn't do that, but it was perfect timing. So you got to give a half because he did make that call and it did work out for him. Mm. I mean, it did because you you had the, the, the top seven were all on inters and they stayed out on those inters. And ultimately, that was probably the better way to go. It disappointed me a little bit as a Ferrari fan because I felt there was scope to put Charles and take a gamble on that when he was stuck in that battle with Ocon and, and Norris and the colder conditions just didn't really suit the Ferrari at all. So I thought, you know what, might have been worth a gamble. And I think if he'd have done what George Russell did, might have seen Leclerc get like P5 or P4 in the sprint race and, you know, Ferrari might have had even more points. So, yeah, yeah we gotta we got to congratulate George on that. I think it was a bold move. He was pretty much completely nowhere in the midfield in that sprint race. I think we saw that with a lot of people when they got into a DRS train. Hamilton was in that position a lot throughout that race as well. So, you know, I think you did a good job there. But it is something I think Mercedes and Russell might want to keep an eye on right now because it's easy for us to say Hamilton's edging away from Russell at the moment. He's found his form and Russell seems washed. Obviously, that's not true because we're talking about Hamilton here. Like when Hamilton's performing really, really well and you're not performing as good as he is, relatively speaking, that doesn't mean that you're rubbish. That just means you're doing well, but he's excelling. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit. And I think we need to cut George some slack here because he's only got room to grow. So I don't want to be too hard on him. Quick update. Uh, Chris Medlin has just tweeted about 10 minutes ago. So we're having this discussion. I was keeping an eye on things whilst we were talking about Mercedes. He's put an update saying multiple penalties are to come as a result of the new infringements that were reviewed and the documents are nearly ready from what he is told. We haven't got official confirmation yet. Hopefully we will do by the time this podcast comes to its conclusion. I know we're an hour in at the moment, but um, as obviously it's a sprint weekend so these episodes are going to be a little bit longer we will try to see if we can get you an update before the end of this episode just having another update at the moment each penalty will have its own document oh boy oh boy oh boy we could be here a while it's a shame it's a good thing this isn't a live stream i've always always have things loads of stuff to talk about this weekend as we often do um let's move on to the next topic of discussion hopefully we can have an update for you guys before the end of this particular episode let's talk about i want to talk about gasly this weekend because we haven't really talked much about Pierre Gasly at the moment. I think Esteban Ocon has very much been the highlight for Alpine at the moment. We've got a solid P7 in the sprint race to get some nice points for them. Gasly obviously been a bit unlucky of late, but he managed to get it in P9 provisionally. Of course, we'll have to Mm. wait and see what happens. This could be completely redundant and he ends up losing a few places because he gets about 10 seconds worth of penalties, but a P9 nonetheless what do we make of his performance today? Um, was this 
potentially an opportunity for him to perhaps get back into the good books again and pick up the form because he very much had the beating of his teammate today compared to how it's been of recent weeks. Yeah, look, he's he's joined a new team. He's gone from being the star boy at Alpha Tauri and he's gone to the Alpine team against, you know, it's been highly documented, you know, there's a little bit of history between him and Esteban Ocon. So he's he's gone into a new environment, an uncomfortable environment, and maybe it's just taken him a while to settle down into the team. And maybe, just maybe, we might be uh, starting to see some uh, on-track battles between him and Esteban in the coming races, because it's something we've been waiting a very long time for. So an informed Pierre Gasly can only be a good thing for the general spectacle. So just got another update, guys, as we're going along. They are coming in thick and fast. So the FIA has released a new document. 83 lap times have been deleted in addition to what we had already. So now we're going to have to wait for the penalties to start coming in. So hopefully it could just be a matter of however long it takes me to hit so refresh that's... on Twitter. So that's almost doubled because you, you say 67 in a No, race. so that so was 47 in qualifying 47. and that was yeah. main qualifying on its own. 83 yeah. additional lap times were deleted following the review of the race. So we could start to see some penalties coming in. As I said, um, I'm just looking through right now. Fortunately, uh, Elon Musk has decided to return Twitter to what it was recently. So I don't think we're going to end up with the exceeded rate limit. I certainly hope not. Otherwise, none of us are going to know who won this race at the end of it all. But um, yeah, so hopefully we will get the results soon. Sorry, guys. I know this is a little bit all over the place at the moment. So hopefully we'll have an update for you soon. Lee, we haven't gone to your sympathy pit lane. Let's move on to that. So we have a bit of structure back to this episode. So who is making your sympathy pit lane for this weekend? My lucky individual to be in the sympathy pit lane, if you call it lucky, is uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Um, he, I feel sorry, really, I'm sorry for him this weekend. He's qualified brilliantly throughout both qualifying sessions and they just didn't get the results that immediately the car has, does go backwards in the race, but the performance that seemed to potentially be or not performance, the, the result that could have been on the table disappeared and start off with sprint, um, race. Obviously, brilliant qualifying um, to get where he was. And a great start to the sprint race. And I was like, is he gonna, is, is this going to be it? Is he going to break um, Nico Hockenberg's podium duck right? Sprint podium, it's a podium. Call it a half a podium, whatever. It's still <laughs> a statistically podium. Nico Hockenberg can finally um, lose that record. And unfortunately, he just went backwards as the track dried up. Then the tyres overheated and that was it. The hope of ten laps complete dash and the that that could be the last time Nico could be potentially for a podium. Don't know, obviously hope not. But obviously I just really want him to get a podium. And in the race today, he obviously only got 12, 13 laps before uh, he pulled over and retired. Obviously not in the fight for the podium, but still a great um, place where he qualified. Just uh, obviously didn't finish the race, and but as I said, he would have gone backwards anyway. But just very sorry. Um, for the guy when it's so close and just delivering such brilliant qualifying results at the moment. Nico is probably really outdriving the performance of that car at the moment. And you've got to give your hat off to that. And just, it hurts when you go, any driver you're going to go backwards and he just has complete sympathy this weekend. Yeah, it very much reminds me of what we used to see Yano truly do. And do you guys remember, on a bit of an anecdote here, do you remember that time when I think it was AMS or whoever it was that was doing it, released 
the statistics for the top 10 best F1 qualifiers of all time. And yeah. Jarno Trulli was second behind Sir Lewis Hamilton. And everyone was yeah. like, how mm-hmm. on earth was Jarno Trulli up there in Peter? And, and historically speaking, for those of you that don't remember Jarno Trulli, the only thing you needed to take away from his career was the fact that he was a brilliant qualifier, but he just somehow was not able to translate that into a race pace. He's a bit like Ferrari at the moment. They're great over one lap. But, and I suppose Haas actually is probably appropriate given we're talking about Hulkenberg. Brilliant over one lap, but their current ailments just don't allow them to continue that over the race right now. And I think we're seeing that with Hulkenberg at the moment. You know, in a Haas car that is good over one lap, when all the conditions are at their best, the soft tyres on low fuel, that Haas is absolutely rapid, especially in Hulkenberg's hands. And we saw that this weekend, you know, qualified P4 in the sprint race. He ended up sixth overall in that race in difficult conditions, mind you. He was second at one point. And a lot of us are thinking, if Max retires here and Hulkenberg wins does it, or gets a top three, does that count as a podium? I think that was even being touted around this weekend. And then, of course, he qualified eighth for the main race itself. So another great qualifying performance from Hulkenberg. And unfortunately, because of reliability issues, he wasn't able to, you know, consolidate that. I mean, it would have been a very difficult task for him to do in that car over a full race distance in dry conditions. But um, I think up to a point, other than Verstappen, he was the driver of the weekend right now. And his performance of late, you got to keep an eye on that right now. Hulkenberg is doing some really good things in the house arguably the same way Magnussen was when he came into the team last year. So some food for thought there for the Haas team at the moment. Yeah, so obviously, Lee, you're absolutely right. It must be really frustrating just to find yourself falling back down the grid. But from the Haas perspective, they've been proven absolutely right as to why they brought Hulkenberg back. Should I say Hulkenberg? I remember that being said a few times in the past. To F1, because we all know that he is Mr. Reliable. He gets the results when they become available. And for a team like Haas, that is perfect. And we're seeing him do that. In you know, we see with Kevin Magnussen, he does the job. And it looks like you've got some news, Adam. I do have some news. Courtney, sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt you. So the final document has been put out, guys. And, and we're reacting to this live right now. So I'm going to start off with the extra penalties that have been given for track limits infringement has just been released, right? The following drivers have got penalties and I'm going to read out what penalties they received in addition to what they already had. So these aren't including what they already suffered. This is an increase of what they have. So Carlos signs 10 seconds for the infringements that have just been released. Hamilton, 10 seconds. Gasly, 10 seconds. Albon, 10 seconds. Ocon, 30 seconds. Sargent, 10 seconds. De Vries, 15 seconds. Sonoda, 5 seconds. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it looked to me like Esteban Ocon was driving on a different circuit this weekend to get 30 <laughs> seconds. I mean, that's, that's for naught. That deserves an award in its own right. Do we have a prediction category for that? Probably should. <laughs> so that promotes Lando to P4. So here's the final finishing order for the top 10. Right, I'm not going to go through the whole grid, just the top 10. Verstappen, as we know, win. Leclerc, Perez, second and third. Of course, none of them got penalised. P4, Norris. P5, Alonso. P6, Sainz. P7, Russell. So that argument we made about Russell being washed, completely irrelevant now, so forget us. Mm. Hamilton, eighth. Stroll, ninth. Gasly, tenth. So 
Aston Martin, yeah, by putting that appeal, have managed to get themselves a few extra points. And of course, Ferrari have lost some constructors' points as well because Sainz. Mercedes have, I think. No, they've just swapped. They've, they've just swapped. swapped the two Mercedes. So yeah. they. So the only simple maths, Colt. Come on. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a big <laughs> it's a big gain. It's a gain for Aston Martin. It's a loss for Ferrari. It's a gain for McLaren, um, and a loss for Alpine as well. I think Alpine lost a point with Gasly. So there we have it. Uh, that's the top 10, I believe. And this is according to uh, Philip Horton, F1, the uh, F1 journalist. So uh, that's where I've got that information from. I'm sure the FIA will pull out their final classification. I think everyone else is putting on social media now, except for us, because we're too busy recording a podcast right now. So uh, take that what it's worth. Anyway, so that is the final top 10 order. Those are the point scorers this weekend. So uh, yeah, some big moves just to confirm Hamilton down to P8, Pine Russell, Gasly down to P10, uh, Sainz down to P6, Norris up to P4 and Lonzo up to P5. So a lot of changes there. I don't think that really changes much of the discussion we were talking about, quite frankly. I, if anything, it adds on to the good things we were saying about Lando Norris. What a fantastic performance from Lando Norris to get a P4 on a circuit where Red Bull in a league of their own Ferrari have taken a step forward. So for Lando to be there in P4, right in the mix, it just solidifies what we've been saying. The lad needs to be driving for a race-winning team very soon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on top of being really, really quick and good with his overtaking, he's very good at keeping it between the white lines as well. So, uh, yeah, fair play to him. Uh, Lee, any any shocks and surprises from that list? Uh <clears throat> Not overly. I said Aston Martin will make some point increases, so that was obviously coming. Um, obviously, Carlos suffered again, but that could already, as you said earlier, that could be argued that he shouldn't have got the time penalty in the first time, but you could also put it back to the delay pit stop, maybe him overdrive, overdrive, and it's um, is what it is, but I, I do look forward to seeing Lando's performances in the next weekend in Silverstone. I Maybe you're probably getting ahead of yourself, but I wonder if McLaren are building up momentum to enter the best of the rest category and join the fight for P2. Um, Lando can definitely uh, make himself a nuisance in that category. Well, they're probably a bit far he away from that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're probably a bit far away for the constructors of P2. I mean, P5 is certainly on the cards right now. I don't think Alpine is a million miles away. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it goes down. I think McLaren was saying on the social media that there will be more upgrades to come at the British Grand Prix. So yeah. we will get a very good indication as to where the pecking order is heading after the British Grand Prix. We often get this at that particular venue where a lot of teams bring their B-spec car, as you mentioned already, Courtney, before. So, I mean, we've seen that already a few with a few teams this season, Mercedes included already. So we're going to get lots of different variances here. We'll have to see how it all goes down. It's very exciting stuff. Uh, in a way, I know some people are probably a little bit disappointed to hear that Red Bull didn't get any penalties, but uh, I'm kind of glad Max didn't get a penalty or anything like that because I probably would have fell, fell out my chair if Charles Leclerc ended up taking the win of this Grand Prix. Imagine that. But um, but it wouldn't have yeah. been right for... Uh, it doesn't matter no, who it is, regardless of your personal feelings. I just don't, I just don't like the idea of a driver leaving a race thinking he's won. They've done the whole trophy ceremony. And they, they find that in like the airport or whatever. But actually, no, you haven't won. Give us that trophy. I, I just, I, I, we've had said it many times about the FIA. Even though we like the drama side to it all, it's given us like something to add to the podcast. But for the drivers themselves, it's not fair that they leave a race thinking they're finished somewhere just for it to be changed. 
Yeah, I think you have to cast your mind back to what was it, two thousand and was it two thousand five in the Brazilian Grand Prix where Raikkonen had the win, but then of course he was overtaken by Fisichella in the Jordan. They had the count back, and then Fisichella ended up getting the win after all of that, and of course had to give him the trophy two weeks later on at Imola or something crazy like that. I can't remember exactly where, but uh, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. And of course, we don't want races won and lost in the stewards' office. We want it won on the track so there we go we managed to string this podcast out long enough to get the live reaction to the formal final classification after the million and one penalties that uh, were awarded out half of which were Esteban Ocon honestly I want to know what track he was driving on this weekend 30 seconds that is insane Um, but uh, there you go let us know your thoughts guys on all the topics discussed I really am intrigued to hear your thoughts on the tracks limits discussion but of course in order to do that you have to follow us on the dnf1 youtube channel subscribe to the channel if you're new like the video if you can that would help us out a lot and of course don't forget to leave us a five star review if anything for the live reaction to the amended race results i think that is what make a short out of that adam i will certainly try to things are busy at the moment of course i I'm actually going to the British Grand Prix this uh, next weekend. So, of course, hey. if any of you, by chance, are actually listening to this and going there yourself and uh, try to try to find me, I'll be happy to say you're gonna hi. You're going to do any kind of vlogging? Any social content creator stuff whilst you're there? Um, I think our listeners will be quite happy to know that, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not doing this to slate any content creators that want to do that sort of thing. They're more than welcome to. I'm just going to go there as a fan and just yeah. enjoy being at the British Grand Prix rather than trying to make content out of it or treat it like a job because this is just a passion project for us. We do this for fun. Exactly. And I just want to go there and enjoy myself and then we'll be back with the normal service, of course. But hey, I'm rambling on at this point. Our British Grand Prix preview, we'll record that on Tuesday. So that will be going out Thursday, heading up to that Grand Prix. And of course, as I said, if you guys are down there and uh, you happen to bump into me, yeah, say hi. I'd be happy to uh, talk F1 with you wonderful lot. But of course... Until then, guys, without further uh, rambling on, stay safe as always. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Thanks for watching and take care. Podcast Network.